Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and once again, may I welcome you to our show. For those of you who don't know me, my name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, nine volumes available at Amazon in paperback and ebook, and one through eight are in audio format at Audible iTunes and Amazon as well. So please go out there and partake of a couple of copies. And if you don't know my brother and co-host, here he is, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm good. How about you, Bill? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, We're getting a little warmth today. And, you know, I have a little thing about the springtime, Kev. I may have told you this before. I told Paula, my wife, years ago, that whenever I see this robins arriving early, it's a harbinger of an early spring. I think we were talking about this the other day, right? Yeah, we were. Yep. So lo and behold, I'm talking to a listener, uh, Isaac, from Florida the other morning, and I'm standing by the back door overlooking the yard and the deck. And so help me, in front of me, dozens of robins start flying around my deck and the bushes and the backyard. So I told Isaac to hold on for a minute, and I called Paula over to let her see, and she was like, whoa! (laughs) And so I think we're in store for an early spring, which is okay with me. That's all right. I I told you last weekend the daffodils came up here in my backyard, but since then it's been in the teens. So (laughs) today it was chilly. It was windy and in the low 40s, which is, you know, relatively warm. But Mm -hmm. when it's windy, it's still chilly. Yeah, well, it it can't hold on. It's not going to hold on. (laughs) Yeah, and for some of our new listeners, of course, you know, Bill's up in New York on Long Island. And I'm down here in North Carolina. So we record this simultaneously together over Skype, but uh, we are about 600 miles apart. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. And Kev, you know, I wanted to bring something up. Our buddy Rich, loyal listener to the uh, podcast, lives out in Washington, uh, also has a property in Idaho, had sent out some interesting uh, shorts of some tracks he found on the property in Idaho. 
Uh, he's got about uh, 10 or 11 acres uh, around Elmira Peak in Idaho, for you, those of you who know the area. And he told me that they had about uh, four feet of snow around Christmas time. And uh, since then, it melted down about a foot, and the top of it is kind of hard and crusty now. But he had pictures of a couple of trackways, and I talked to him about it. Uh, one of them he's uncertain about, and uh, I looked at it, and I was like, wow, that is interesting. Yeah, and, some, uh, some big feet for sure, right? Whatever uh, yeah. it is. Yeah, you know, but with with some melt and pulling in, you know, I don't know exactly the effect of that, but it sure as heck looked like something really big laid these out, and they were relatively in line. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that Richard commented on was he's got some moose around there. There was a moose sighted by his neighbors on his property. Uh, he thought the one set may have been laid down by a moose. But we were talking together, and he very astutely pointed out that in four feet of snow, there very well may have been some belly drag uh, involved had it been a moose. Certainly a deer. A deer wouldn't have walked in four feet of snow. No, they kind of uh, hop along at best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it was interesting. And the other thing that I noticed was there was no cutting of the snow, no slicing, if you will, where a a leg, a foreleg, uh, was dragged through having stepped in from print to print. You follow what I'm saying? Oh, 100%. A, a, a deer or even a moose is not going to pick every one of its steps completely out of the snow, out of four feet of snow, and then move it ahead without touching the snow until it puts its foot in. Yeah, and yeah, that that's one no thing sense. I noticed. Now, look, I'm not there. I'm looking at little videos and some stills. Uh, but I didn't notice any of that going on. So, the you know, the mystery is there. You know, what was this? You know, and obviously we and Rich are believers in the uh, Sasquatch. So it's not off the table that he didn't get a couple of good... Uh, uh, pictures of a possible track. I interesting to note also, he had a drone, but the, he wanted to get the drone up in the air and try to follow the trackway to its conclusion. Uh, but the camera on his drone was not functioning. Ah, okay. So uh, maybe next time. But kudos to Rich for... Uh, Staying with us and uh, sending that information out. It was really cool. Yeah, and nice, the videos, I saw the videos and the stills, Bill, and certainly that part of the country, that part of the world, is a place where there are a lot of hairy man sightings. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, uh, you know, and uh, I learn a lot from the listeners, you know, and Rich, uh, as well as many others, uh, he's one such person that I got a pretty good uh, education from uh, in reference to his career when he was a logger. And, uh, boy, that'll open up your eyes to the reality of where some of these cats earn a living oh, and yeah. uh, why they may have a pretty good opportunity at catching up with a freaking Bigfoot. 
<laughs> I'm telling you, man. Woo. No doubt about it. Yeah, no doubt about it. They're out there in the rural parts of the forest. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. There's like they're in no man's land. Ah, uh, so my brother, what do we have tonight? Not cryptids in the news and other oddities segment. Yeah, we're going to be going out to Tennessee here in the United States. Okay. To Dixon, Tennessee. And uh, we're going to look into the werewolf of Dixon, Tennessee. Wow. Sounds like some some type of wrestler. Nope, not a wrestler. (laughs) Not a wrestler that you ever want to wrestle with, at least. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're going to lose every time. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this story comes out of the uh, Dixon County newspaper, the Dixon Herald. And um, the the legend goes all the way back to the 1860s. And sometimes you'll hear this referred to, uh, or the area referred to as Werewolf Springs, but it's in Dixon, Tennessee. Wow. Is there an yeah. actual location, Werewolf Springs? That's Well, that's what they call it. I didn't find it on the map, but it could be on the map. You know, a lot of these places, like Ape Mountain, right out in uh, Washington State, it's there now after the, the story about the Sasquatch throwing rocks at the miners now, if you look on the map. But I'm not sure if Werewolf Springs is there, but it's in Dixon County in Dixon, Tennessee. Well, maybe after this podcast, somebody's going to put it on the map. There you go. <laughs> and Dixon is just west of Nashville, Tennessee. That's the biggest city that's close by. And it's also very close to Montgomery Bell State Park. And Montgomery Bell State Park, you know, for those of you that study cryptids and other oddities, that may ring a bell because it's one of the most haunted state parks in the United States. So lots of weird stuff going on there, including some werewolf sightings. How, how do you come up with the designation of one of the most haunted state parks? They rate them, Bill. You can search on it, and they rate it's them. Unbel- so. It's unbelievable. I know. Number of sightings and stuff like that. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it brings in tourists. I'm not sure. Maybe it scares away tourists. Yeah, let's go have a barbecue today at the Haunted Forest. No, and then I was looking at this, Bill, and I'm like, Montgomery Bell State Park, we've covered that. And then I was like, you know, I think that's also close to the whole Bell Witch story. And sure enough, I looked, and Adams, Tennessee, is where the Bell Witch story took place where I, you know, I covered that a few months back. Mm-hmm. And uh, Adams, Tennessee is less than an hour away. So, wow, so it's pretty, pretty creepy area of Tennessee. Yeah, it's like a regional thing. Yeah, all kinds of weird stuff going on there. Wow, that is bizarre. Huh. Yeah, pretty all cool. Right, so. so, yeah, so the story goes back to the 1860s. Uh, where a local landowner and uh, one of his uh, helpers was traveling by wagon down a country road near where Highway 47 runs southwest of the park today. 
and they were heading from the present-day Burns area to a homestead near the Harpeth River. So right in this spot of uh, Dixon, Tennessee. And they, they reported that the travelers were stalked by a wild creature in the vicinity of Dixon. They moved faster and faster trying to get away from the creature, but it was no use. So they ended up abandoning the wagon and wow. ran into the forest in opposite directions. So get this, the creature pursued the person that was working for the landowner, and he was never seen again. Oh, that is insane. Yeah, and the landowner heard blood-curdling screams and pleas for mercy from the hired hand, but his body was never found. Wow. Yeah. You know, and Kev, a wagon back then was a highly valuable piece of merchandise. Oh, yeah. You weren't just going to run from your wagon. But I'll tell you right now, remember what I always say, folks, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. And obviously, these folks didn't have it or enough with them. Your running shoes aren't going to help you. No. (laughs) No, no, no. Only if you're faster than the person next to you. (laughs) <laughs> Unbelievable. That is freaking spine tingling. Oh, I know. It's uh, it's definitely a creepy one. And then, so after this incident, they formed a posse, right, back in the 1860s. That's what you did. Mm-hmm. And they gathered to find and kill the beast, right? They headed into a clearing uh, where it appeared that the predator frequently hunted They took a goat and tethered it in the middle of the clearing and broke off in pairs surrounding the goat and hiding in the trees and bushes around the clearing. And they said that a Sasquatch-like creature entered the clearing and headed straight for the goat. The men fired at the creature and then lit their lanterns to see if it was dead. But the creature and the goat had vanished, along with two members of the posse. Wow. That's freaking unbelievable. I know. <clears throat> two members of the posse disappeared that were armed? Well, I, yeah, I would assume they were armed. Who knows? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, they were there to kill. Yeah. Wow, that is really bizarre. Yep. And where did this account come from? Uh, well, this is all published inside of the uh, Dixon Herald, which is a newspaper there from wow. the archives of the Dixon Herald. That is insane. Yeah. Wild stuff. Yeah. And, you know, you have to think, uh, I mean, do you buy into the fact that this could have been some sensational story printed even back then? Well, I'm less likely, like I always say, I'm less likely to believe it back in 1860s, you know. Today, in the era of YouTube, where people will do almost anything to get more hits on their YouTube channel, right? Because it's a money-making thing. Um, I I tend to come into everything questioning or a little bit skeptical. Mm -hmm. But back in the 1860s, you had way more to lose than to gain. Yeah, just like, cred- like overall this. credibility, you know. Oh, in your whole life. How do you get it back, you know? 
yeah. You know, you, you'd be damaged for life if you did something crazy. You know, and in, in the eighteen sixties, who knows how many actual printed papers they were able to produce? Oh yeah. You know, like what was their readership? You know, right. I don't think it was huge in Dixon, Tennessee. No, it was more or less like spreading the word around. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of getting the word out there a little deeper than you could by telling the story and going ear to ear. Yeah, I mean, uh, you could like shout it out like the old town crier at yeah. the center of town, and then everybody would tell one another just by word of mouth. Or you have a newspaper. You know, so the newspaper might only be a few pages, too, right? Don't forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what would it be? I mean, you had to roll it out, roll out the ink, lay out the paper, yeah. maybe maybe one or two pages folded in half. Right. You know, this was not the uh, the local papers we have today, for sure. Yeah. Wow, man. So originally the, they touted... But they tout it as being a werewolf. Yeah, they talked about it as a werewolf. And in this same story, then they talked about it like as a Sasquatch. I think it. I think that's like a, a modernization, though. But it is more often than not talked about a werewolf or a wolf man. Wow. Yeah, so because I don't, I don't think it's a Sasquatch. I think it's, you know, some kind of hairy, uh, weird uh, creature. Yeah, because back then they wouldn't have known the Pacific Northwest terminology of Sasquatch. Oh no, no, no! This is in the newspaper here. This is a modern, yeah. modern account, modern yeah. reproduction of a historical account. Yeah, just amazing. So, so it gets really interesting, Bill, because one of the theories I came across of the 1860s sightings uh, is that they said that in the late 1860s a circus train derailed along the railroad track that skirts the southwest boundary of what is present in present day Montgomery Bell State Park, right, which I mentioned earlier. Uh-huh. And they said several circus animals escaped, including two creatures touted as the Wolfmen of Borneo. The Wolfmen of Borneo. And they said all other creatures were recovered except for the wolfman of Borneo. That's weird. Well, it's really weird. But then I went and I researched the wolfman of Borneo. Uh-huh. And it turns out that the wolfman of Borneo were two people. Granted, they were weird-looking, strange people, which I'll get into in a minute. But they were weird people that were indeed part of the circus and ended up being part of P.T. Barnum's freak show ex- exhibitions. I mean, was there an- anything noted about them that would make them uh, cannibalistic or violent? Well, get this. So they were a pair of exceptionally strong dwarf brothers. Okay. Okay. So get out your calculator here. They were each about 40 inches tall. Right. And they weighed, each of them weighed about 45 pounds. That's small. That's tiny. Yeah. Okay. But yet they could lift like 300 pounds each. Wow. So as part of the freak show, they would wrestle with 
full-size humans and pick them up over their head and throw them and things like that. Wow, that's weird. I mean, you're talking something that's three foot four inches tall. And only weighs 45 pounds. It's yeah, not I mean, even like it's it, a fire hydrant. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. But I don't know, man. I, I, I'm not buying that what was seen coming out in the field. Oh, and no way. way. That's not were it. There any, that's not were it. there any shots fired? No, not in that one. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But it's interesting. Like, I thought, like, the reason why I bring it up is... You know, how you hear like some of the explanations and we can jump on the explanation like these wild creatures escaped from the train. But then when I went and researched it on other threads, it's kind of like, no, these two creatures, you know, were people. Yeah, they were weird. And I'll put a picture of them up on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com under uh, episode 139. And you'll be like, whoa, those are some weird looking dudes. Um, and, and definitely strange strength for two uh two tiny guys and then it turns out like i read more about them um you wouldn't believe how much money these guys made and how much they were worth so they said back then when they were working with pt barnum they earned approximately two hundred thousand dollars each in their career and they said that back then, that was equivalent to $6 million today. Wow. Yeah. And, and yeah, why would these guys, even in a train wreck or derailment, why oh, would no. they run away and, and, no. and not be taken back to this lucrative? No, they're millionaires. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to take up a life in the woods. I no, mean, I mean, again, when you see them, you'll be like, holy cow, these are some freaky looking dudes. Yeah, um, yeah. Especially, you'll see in one of the pictures, the outfits they have them in. It's like, what the heck were you thinking? <laughs> they look a little bit like the two twins from The Shining coming down the hallway. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Wait till you see the one picture. <laughs> oh, and by the way, their names were Wayno and Plutonor. <laughs> Unbelievable. Let's just say my next Labrador Retriever is not going to be named Wayno or Plutonor. <laughs> I'll tell you, man, I see some pretty weird-looking dudes going in and out of the hospital. <laughs> well, let me know. I'll say, yeah, you'll see this picture, Bill, and you let me know if you see anybody that looks like these two cats. <laughs> Wayno and Plutonor. <laughs> you, might, you might see some wearing these outfits, but they don't look like these two. I tell you, Kev, I see some stuff in these days and times I never thought I would see. And I mean, I'd say they- these two look like they're from a freak show, but they are from a freak show. They are. They are, man. They are. Oh, my God. Uh, wow, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Werewolf, werewolves in Tennessee. Dixon, Tennessee. Or from Werewolf Springs in Dixon, Tennessee. And, folks, so. again, if you know anything or have any knowledge of this area called Werewolf Springs, yeah. uh, it would be really cool to hear from you. So, you know, touch base with us, uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, uh, and hit our contact link, and we'd be awfully glad to hear what you have to say. 
And I, <laughs> I did put this one on my to-visit locations. You know, uh-huh. I'm not going to go see the goat man on that bridge in Texas at midnight. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I'll, yeah. I'll go out and see this uh, werewolf area and this haunted yeah. park for sure. Yeah. Take a little wagon ride? Well, maybe not a wagon ride. <laughs> Start shouting out, hey, Waynor, I'm Plutonor. <laughs> oh, my God. Borneo, <laughs> Borneo wild men. That's it, man. And, Kev, you know, Dad uh, used to say when he was stationed in New Guinea uh, that they still had headhunters over there. Oh, yeah. Uh, back in the, uh, you know, the times, days and times of uh, World War Two. Hey, they may still have them on some of those little islands over there today. Yeah, you don't know, you know. Not, not but, a lot uh, of civilization in some of the, you know. I mean, there's a lot of islands over there. Yeah. In those chains, and uh, a lot of them are just untouched by modern-day humans. I, one of my co-workers, I recall... A number of years ago, we were having a conversation about the Philippines, and he was from the Philippines. I think he told me there's around 6,000 islands. Yeah, some crazy number of them. That's what hey, I mean. I, co- like I, w- I wouldn't want to bet that there, that there aren't any headhunters left over there. Yeah, yeah, well, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That is freaking bizarro, man, really yeah. bizarro. Cool stuff. By the way, you mentioned Dad. You know, today's his birthday. Yeah, and it's also yeah. uh, our anniversary. Oh, your anniversary. I knew that. I had to tell yep. you. Happy anniversary. Yep. Thank you very Ooh, much. Fantastic. And happy birthday to Dad in heaven. Absolutely. You know, and Paula is really good with the dates and everything. I'm like, you know, I'll remember a date maybe 40 days late. Well, come on. I have to kind of remind you when it's your birthday. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, the funny thing was, like, when uh, uh, Paula and I got married, uh, uh, we went to the local church and had set it up. And, it, you know, it was a small affair, Kev, folks. We oh, didn't yeah. have – we had about a dozen people, uh, some wine and beer, and had some stuff catered by a deli and just had a good night. And uh, But we had a deacon – uh, from the local Catholic church, Marius, on a Friday night. And when I had the meeting with Deacon Sonny, he said, so what night would you like to do this? And I just looked at Paula, and I said, how about next Friday? And he said, mm, okay, that's fine. And I had no idea that next Friday was the 20th, which was Dad's birthday. And uh, so we wound up getting married. Uh, on yeah, I, I don't know if you remember, but when you called us and said, hey, do you want to come up for the wedding? We were like, of course. And I said, when? And you said the 20th. I said, you know, that's Dad's birthday. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing, you know. Yeah, it's cool. But uh, Very cool. Yeah, that's cool. It was meant to be. <laughs> Absolutely. And it was small, but it was special and it was really nice. Yeah, you know, and uh, we had a good time. You know, Paula and I had been together for a long time. And uh, I'm not saying right, wrong, or indifferent. I just, I always considered her my common-law wife. 
And then one day it was just impressed upon me that, like, you know, make it right or yeah. do it the right way. And then we did. Yeah. So, uh, all good. Uh, an amazing, amazing thing. Wow. That was a great uh, uh, cryptids in the news segment, Kev. <laughs> all right. Gotta love uh, werewolves. And yeah, no. wild men of Borneo. Where do you see no. these pictures, too, folks? They're fantastic. By the way, I did look at the uh, picture from a couple of weeks ago, Kev, of that uh, uh, vampire grave. Oh, was that spectacular? Yeah, that is a nasty-looking uh, picture. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, and folks, if you go on the website, uh, you click on the uh, segment you want to listen to, and if Kev has posted anything, it, it comes up then. It's uh, not there when you first look at it. Like, where are the pictures? You know, uh, oh, but I when know. you click, yeah. when you click on the you uh, go podcast, to the you right? Go, go to, the to the episode, and then you'll see what he posted with it. Yeah. Well, Kev, I got a couple of uh, shorts here. We'll see how we go with this. Uh, a couple of really neat uh, sightings slash encounters, and. This following one came from me from a guy named Barry Fitzsimmons, uh, formerly of uh, Vancouver. And this is what Barry and his father saw while they were trolling the shore. Uh, So they're in a boat trolling on the shore of Vancouver Island in 1986. In 86... My father and I were trolling the shoreline of Vancouver Island, basically enjoying the morning. The tide was outgoing, which as it occurs gradually exposes some sandbars the further you move through the tide. Now, my dad and I were well familiar with the fact that bears do dig for clams, having seen numerous bears doing so through the years in the region. So to see one doing so was always a spectacle, but not a surprise to either of us. We were rounding this southern exposed bar when we saw what appeared to be a large brown bear on all fours, viewing it from its hindquarters, working this bar, apparently digging clams. At the time, I estimated the yardage between us between us and it, at, say, 200 or so yards. Our speed at the time was only four miles per hour, and the motor was idled down, running extremely quietly at the time. Mind you, we had rounded a bend, so to speak, looking at the animal's rear, with it having neither seen nor heard us as of yet. As we continued our troll... We were closing the gap on this bear to the point where we would pass it on our starboard side, at which point it would be only 60 or maybe 70 yards off the side of our boat. We could see from the mess that the bar was in that it had been working it quite rigorously for some time when my father said, "'That's some mangy-looking critter, son.'" I was thinking the same thing when he said it. There was something strange about its shape and posture on the bar, 
and its fur didn't look right either now that we were closer. Just at the point we were both thinking and saying this about its appearance, this thing jumped up and turned to face us in a split second, looking directly at us, now standing on two legs in the middle of the sandbar. It wasn't a bear at all, but rather a hair-covered, tall creature. My father said, That's a Bigfoot, son. This thing took about six rapid leaps off the bar and disappeared into the trees on the island. Retrieving our lines, my father turned the boat about, moving closer to the bar for a look-see at where it had been working and where it went. There was no sign of it, and we weren't going to stop and look either. This creature looked like a seven-foot-tall center on a basketball team. Tall, muscular, and lanky. Its arms were incredibly long, and when it turned to look at us, appeared like a wrestler sizing up its opponent for a takedown, holding its arms out and away from its sides. The six or so steps it took were more like hops, each one spanning what appeared to me to be 10 or 12 feet based on what we could see now on the surface of the bar. To me, it looked like a gigantic hair-covered man with dark skin and eyes, mostly covered with scraggly hair. I must say that over the years, my father having now passed on, whether we were together or alone, the pushback from those we had spoken to about this was incredible. Most just shaking their heads not even willing to engage in a conversation about it or discounting what we had said by saying it must have been something else. How could this be anything but a Bigfoot, having now heard the description for yourself? What do you think of that, Kev? Pretty cool, man. I can see that happening, too. You know, as you know, I've seen the big brown bears or grizzlies up in Alaska clamming in the mud at low tide and it's amazing to see them digging big clams smacking them open and eating them like you just until you see it you wouldn't believe that bears are clamors so i could see coming along in a boat and saying oh look at a bear clamming and then whoa thing stands up and it's a sasquatch holy cow yeah it's incredible too how the bears uh have you know in other words how can you possibly limit how a Sasquatch could find things to eat uh, relative to a bear clamming, a bear oh, no catching salmon, yeah. a bear eating berries or root root vegetables, you know? Yeah. It's, it's totally uh, within the realm of possibility. No doubt about uh, it, yeah. Uh, so I, I have no problem, you know. And we see on a lot of these shows, they say, well, you know, if uh, a, an area can sustain a bear, it can certainly sustain a Bigfoot. You know, and it's true. No, no doubt about it. So that's just just incredible, man. Can you imagine trolling along for some salmon or whatever they're trolling for over there and uh, 
suddenly you see this thing, and like he said, they had seen him before, so it was no shocker. But then having this thing stand up and spin around looking at you? Now that's the really shocking part. Woo! Yeah. Oh, like, my God. Whoa, that's not a bear. What is that? Yeah. Yeah, I hope it can't swim. <laughs> Thro- throttle it up, Dad. Exactly. <laughs> Don't look back. We got to go. <laughs> that's when you need that 150-horse Merc. Yeah, why do we need that 150-horse? This is why we need it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, what do you think? You want to do uh, number two? Um, yeah, why not? Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's a shorty, and I picked these two short ones uh, uh, be, just for that reason. Now, I have to tell you, when I hear some of these encounters firsthand, it starts to make me think, what exactly are we dealing with in regards to these Bigfoot creatures? And this following testimony was given to me by a fellow named Wallace Cronin, a resident of the state of Wyoming. This is what Wallace had to say about his granddad's encounter. To start with, Bill, as you already know, my father and my granddad have both passed, and I am 81 years old myself. This story was passed on from dad to me, my granddad having passed when I was only three years old. My dad and I had been to granddad's old homestead many times, but it wasn't until I was about 12 or so, as I recall, that one day while we were up there for a few days, my dad walked me through what happened to granddad in the late 1800s. By the way, This homestead or house was nothing but a 15 by 20 foot shack with two holes in the side that were windows covered by boards on hinges that could be opened and latched. There were no screens. The door was built out of planks with a swinging latch on the outside and a plank across the inside to keep anything from pushing the door in. There was a small potbelly stove in the corner, the chimney of which my dad had repaired when I was younger on another outing. On this particular day, my dad and I were shooting some cans with a twenty-two cal, when out of the blue he starts telling me that granddad shot a hairy man here many years ago. At the time, I had no idea what a hairy man was and began to ask questions as my dad unraveled what was to be quite the tale. He told me Granddad had first encountered this hairy man spying on him through the trees and bushes and not knowing exactly what what it or he was, causing no harm to him, just left him alone. He told my dad that over time the hairy man started to throw sticks at him when he was around, but never came into the open to be fully seen. He said over time this hairy giant had started to become more aggressive, showing itself to granddad at a distance, grunting, growling, and making gestures with its body much like a wild monkey would. Granddad had gone out hunting one day, returning to the cabin in the afternoon to find the front door broken in 
and the stovepipe ripped from the pot belly inside. He said that the pipe, which wasn't that strong, had been smashed up and crinkled beyond repair, Granddad having decided at that point to do something about it. In the weeks following, the same creature was slapping the outside of the cabin at night, and he could smell it when it was there, saying that it stunk badly. My dad said Grandpa owned an old Henry rifle, which he now kept loaded alongside of his bed, expecting fully to use it when the time was right. One morning, a loud howl awoke Grandad coming from outside of the cabin. The windows could only be opened from the outside, and he couldn't see out, shy of opening the door, which he did. As he cautiously opened the door at about 30 yards in front of him stood the hairy man, which upon seeing him started to romp about, throwing its hands in the air and growling. Granddad, said my father, raised his rifle and shot the creature, knocking him to the ground. Within seconds, my dad said, the creature leapt to its feet, running off into the woods, never to be seen or heard of again. This was told to me in the 50s, long before anything that we now know of in regards to Bigfoot. Granddad called it what it was, a huge hair-covered man-like beast, roaming the timber of northern Wyoming. These creatures have been around a lot longer than most choose to believe, in my opinion, and who knows how many people have encountered them through the centuries, the likes of which we will more than likely never know. How's that, Kev? Very cool. I like them both, Bill. Yeah, I mean, just two bizarre kind of in-and-out uh uh, encounters was the, well. The second one was certainly an encounter. <clears throat> to me, the first one was more what I would call a sighting. Right. Uh, really, no interaction other than the creature spinning around and then leaping off the bar into the woods. Right. Uh, but this guy apparently was up there like some old miner hunter dude. Maybe it was just a getaway. Uh, we don't know much about this cabin. It doesn't sound like it was viably being lived in, but who knows? I, you know, I don't know. Right. And but, did he uh, say when that was? Well, the, the grandfather. Oh, that's right. It was. It was he was already 18, what eighty-five or ninety or whatever. Well, he in the eighteen eighties. Oh, okay. So long time. This ago. Ha- yeah, this happened to the granddad. And the guy telling me the story is 81. That's what I meant. Like, the guy telling the story is 80s, and his grandfather had happened to. Yeah. Right. And his father had already passed away as as well. So this is an old-time story, generational. Uh, He had said that his grandfather died when he was, like, three years old. So okay, I don't know what memories you have of Grandpa when you're three, you know? Not a lot. So, kind of interesting, though, huh? Oh, I love it. Good, great accounts. Great accounts. Yeah. yeah, and people, I don't know. You know, folks, I always say, if you've seen something, say something. And uh, 
I'm always at the ready to, to hear from the next individual, which happens quite frequently. Again, yeah. you can contact us at uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com and hit the contact button. And uh, just drop me a line, you know. And by the way, Bill, what's better than one account? Two accounts. Two accounts. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't need to embellish anything. Uh, I like details, and I dig for details when I talk to people. I like to know the how and the why and how you got there and what's your life like and where do you work and where were you when this happened, what was the weather like. But if it's not there, I'm not going to dig and prod. You know, some things in their simplicity are perfect just the way they are, you know. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, super cool. Just like eating a carrot cake. All you need is the right ingredients, and it's perfect. Wait a minute. I could go for a piece of carrot cake. <laughs> Me too, man. One of my favorite things huh? in life. You know, you didn't know that. That's one of my favorite cakes as well. Yeah, I love that. I'm not a big cake person, but, like, I love carrot cake, especially with some walnuts in it. Uh, well, it's got to have walnuts. I know, but sometimes they make it without walnuts. Eh, maybe they're cheap. Creepy bastards. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, real a good character. Maybe they're werewolves. Has, yeah, maybe they're werewolf or Borneo man. What was that guy's name? The Wild <laughs> Man of Borneo. I'm trying to remember their names again. Oh, oh, I can't remember. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but you gotta, Bill. You gotta call me when you see their pictures. It's yeah. Wayno, but not like W-A-Y-N-O. This is W-A-I-N-O and Plutonor. Okay. Plutonor. But wait till you see them in their outfits. Oh, my God. Okay. okay. You're going to be like, oh, my God, I got to call Kev. Incredible, though, how the guys were knocking down 200000 a year back then. Back then, yeah. So people were paying, you know, whatever they were paying to see these freak shows. Six million today. Wow. Yeah. Crazy, yeah. For a freak show. But, I mean, a 45-pounder that could go up to somebody to weigh 300 pounds in the audience and pick them up over their head. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you were a 300-pound person, muscle man, it would be hard to pick up somebody in the audience that weighs 300 pounds. Extremely right? difficult. Yeah, it'd be extremely difficult. Yeah, I mean, even if you're a weightlifter, that would be hard to do. Yeah. Usually those things are practiced. No, these guys are like Bam Bam from the from the uh, Flintstones. Yeah. Bam, yeah. bam, bam, bam. <laughs> and there's two of them that look like one another, and they're both freaks. <laughs> oh, and I don't throw that crazy. term around loosely. Wait till you see the picture, folks. Like, yeah. Yikes. Yeah, judge for yourself. Yeah, you tell me. You write <laughs> me a little note at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com and tell me they're not freaks. I'm yeah. all ears. Right. If you don't think they're freaks, just give us another descriptive. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, my goodness. Oh, funny well, stuff. So what do we have in our listener mail? Yeah, we today? got some good listener mail. The first letter comes in from June. And June is in San Antonio, Texas, Uh where she's probably carried more gun than she thinks she's going to need, I'm guessing. 
Don't you know it? But she says, hey, Bill and Kevin, hope y'all are well. I love listening to y'all at bedtime. We have coyotes in the woods behind us. So you can imagine hearing them howl and listening to Bigfoot Terry in the Woods is the perfect <laughs> way to settle in. June, uh, you're you're our kind of woman. <laughs> that is awesome. And and yeah. you know, Bill, I have coyotes by my house and man, like the one time they were in the driveway screaming, I thought somebody was getting killed out in the driveway. And uh, I can, I can, I hear you, June. Like that is creepy, especially if you're listening to Bigfoot Terror in the Woods and some of our more creepy stories at the same time. Yeah, well, you just crack open a can of Greg's uh, Dogman beer. Dogman beer. There you go. <laughs> and and listen to your coyotes and Bigfoot Terror in yeah, the Woods. Yeah. And June <laughs> says, "I love your senses of humor and the creepy tales." And she says, speaking of creepy, have y'all heard of the rake? Wait until you see those images online. Total creep fest. Maybe a show about that creepy bastard, as Bill says. (laughs) (laughs) And that's definitely one for which you want to have more gun than you think you'll need. Love y'all, June. So, Bill, you told me about the rake, too, going back a couple of years. And, folks, I'm pretty sure the rake is a fake thing, but it appears real when you look at it on the Internet. But And I don't know this for sure. Like, no one knows what's fake and what's real. But there is a horror genre on the Internet called creepy pasta. And I know that sounds like ravioli that comes to life or something, but no, it's called <laughs> creepy pasta. And uh, they say it comes from the term copy and paste, meaning like people write this genre, this creepy genre, and they copy and paste it around the internet. And then other people write about it, and people come up with images and stuff like that. And today, like in the Urban Dictionary, it's called creepy pasta. And I think the rake is part of creepypasta, but I'm not sure. So any of you know anything else about the rake and can tell me that it's not creepypasta, not not definitively, of course. Who the heck knows definitively? But write us a note. Write us a note at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Contact, contact us. Because I've been looking at the rake for like three or four years, and it's definitely creepy, but I think it might be uh, just a... Uh, uh, something that came out of horror fiction. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a horror movie person at all. I've never been. Uh, I don't go to those movies. I don't see them. But that doesn't mean that I'm naive to uh, some of the things that are being shown. And today, uh, there's no end to the realism of these created beings or entities or monsters or demons or whatever you want to call whatever's being shown, uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if these rake pictures were generated, you know, CG. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, and, and made to look very real in the moment, you know. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. 
Uh, this isn't the days of Flash Gordon with spaceships flying across the set with strings on them. Strings on them, yeah, and, yeah. And a Fourth of July sparkler hanging out of the back that you could see burning No, and down. this, by the way, I'm not here to say, like, this is done in a way to be fraudulent or tricksters. I think it's just done to write good horror stories. You know what I mean? And different people chime in with it. It's not necessarily meant to be believed to be real. But then right. when you just catch it, like mid-story, mid-sentence, so to speak, mid-chapter, and you can think that it's real. But mm-hmm. uh, it's I think it's written to be fiction and just, you yeah. know, creepy fiction. Yeah, and you may be right, Kevin. June, thanks a lot for writing in. We no, definitely thanks for writing in. Yeah, we're not yeah. looking to shoot you down. Oh, but, no, you know, not have- at all. Not at all. I'm, I'm just yeah. saying, because we get a lot of story, a lot of requests for the rake. And when I have looked at it, but somebody chime in out there and tell me, you know, again, I'm not going to debate you. Just tell me like, no, no, I think it's real because of this. You know, that's fine. Okay. I'm in. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Sounds good to me, man. Thanks, June. Cool. Thank you, June. It's fun, fun letter, too. All right, we're going to go across the pond to Great Britain from Bertrand. And Bertrand writes, this is a wonderful podcast. So obviously Bertrand's brilliant. (laughs) Or as they say on the Guinness commercials, brilliant. (laughs) Bertrand writes, two brothers and two very different mindsets. By the way, Bertrand, you can say that again. (laughs) He says, I'm attracted to the diversity of topics, all of which are presented concisely within the time restraints of the show. From your speech, I can ascertain that WJ is the Bigfooter and KJ is the newcomer, so to speak. That's correct, too, Bertrand. (laughs) How did this unlikely tandem come together for this show? And what sold WJ on the Bigfoot creature? Nothing but the best for the two of you. Godspeed, Bertrand, P.S. Don't change a thing. Ah, interesting, yeah? So what do you say, Bill? What sold WJ on the Bigfoot creature? Well, you know, I've spoken about this before. I I always thought and always will uh, believe that the Patty film was a legit filming of a real creature. And, I mean, right from the get-go, having seen that, it never left my mind. Uh, I'm not saying it was at the forefront, but when I saw that, it was like, wow, that thing is wandering around out there somewhere, and if there's one, there's more than one, you know? Absolutely. So that was the beginning, I mean, for me. And then as we move forward... Uh, particularly when the internet came about and we could really uh, get more chatter. Because let's face it, Kev, if you went to the Sachem Public Library, uh, you weren't finding uh, any books on Bigfoot. No, yeah, and even if you searched the microfilm back in those days, I yeah. don't think you were finding any stories on Bigfoot. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, this the phenomena really started to go... What would you say, Kev? Maybe mid-70s into the 80s? I was going to say, Bill, because I think mid-70s, I was a kid, and I remember sitting in the Jerry Lewis movie theater in Lake Ronkonkoma, 
mm-hmm. and they had on Leonard Nimoy, you know, I think it was the predecessor to the TV show In Search Of, and right. it was like a short in front of one of the movies that I went there to see as a little kid. And he was showing the Patty film and talking about it. And I remember seeing that. And, of course, when it's on the big screen, too, you know, you yeah. were like, whoa, what the heck is yeah. that? You know. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. like you were distracted in any way when you were sitting in a movie theater when you were seven or eight years old, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember seeing that and thinking, like, whoa, that's something. Yeah. And uh, the second part of the question was, you know, how did we get together for this? Well, really, that was pretty much an invitation by me, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm the techie of the two, and Bill was like, hey, what do you think of this whole podcast thing? And, I, you know, I had listened to podcasts, but I didn't know anything about how to put them together. And then uh, I said, yeah, I could help you with that. But I didn't know help you with that meant to be on the podcast. So. <laughs> but it's been fun. You know, it's it's a cool way for my brother and I to definitely touch base uh, at least once a week, usually more than once a week, to uh, talk about, uh, you know, other Bigfoot and other oddities and cryptids in the news and the accounts that he's going to cover and stuff like that. So it's it's definitely a pretty cool way to hang out with your brother when you're 600 yeah. miles apart. Yeah. And by the way, folks, you know, uh, if you've never heard this from us before, you know, Kevin and I live two really diverse lifestyles and, and work uh, scenarios. It's very difficult for us uh, to get together more than once a week to do a podcast. And uh, we're kind of thankful that we do what we do. And, you know, I know people have written into us and said, hey, guys, how about two or three a week or whatever, you know, and it's right now it's beyond the realm of possibility. No, no. And some people, you know, like other podcasters we talk to, right, Bill? They're like, oh, you should record five at a time. And we we can't we have a hard time getting together to do one at a time. I mean, once in a blue moon, we do two at a time. And that feels yep. like a miracle. So, you know, yep. Yep. but like you said, you know, uh, you know, we we're we're running in different circles, 600 miles apart. And uh, it's it's great to get together. And we love hearing from you. And it really fuels us to hear that, you know, you guys are enjoying it so much out there at times. And, you know, maybe some episodes you enjoy more than others. But overall, you're all enjoying it so much, and we love that. That that keeps us going. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Awesome and, stuff, uh, Bill. So that and, uh, that's it for this week. That's our last letter that we'll cover. And uh, you folks out there, you've been giving us great five-star reviews and written reviews. So please, if you can, get out there on your favorite podcast player and give us, like, a happy written review of why you love us and give us five stars because it brings more listeners to the podcast. And by getting more listeners, we can stay on schedule, which you all love, and continue to increase the quality of the podcast. Yeah, and uh, thanks again for listening, folks. And by the way, if you live in Tennessee, or you plan on wandering around in the hill country of Tennessee... Besides having to contend with the possibility of the Bell Witch 
and now a werewolf. You better remember one thing, my friend. Always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight. <laughs>